on the night of November the 14th, 1940, at 8 p.m., the first of several incendiary bombs landed on the roof of Coventry Cathedral. By 11 p.m., the valiant attempts to save the cathedral were abandoned. The water pipes had been destroyed and the sand supplies had run out. By morning, the cathedral and much of the centre of Coventry were in ruins. A local priest, while surveying the damage, pick up, picked up some 14th century hand-forged nails which had fallen from the roof to the sanctuary floor. He bound them together to form crosses. One was placed on a stone altar in the ruined sanctuary, along with a cross made from the charred roof beams. This became known as the Altar of Reconciliation. The cross of nails has become known throughout the world as the symbol of Coventry Cathedral's Ministry of International Reconciliation. The community of the Cross of Nails is an international network of 150 organisations in 60 countries committed to reconciliation in various situations of violent conflict, some related to religious disputes and others fueled by different factors. No doubt some of you have visited this site. Sitting in the remains of the bombed out cathedral is really special, as is a visit to the new cathedral next door. Justin and I wished we had more time to spend there when we visited some years ago. Many people say that a visit to the cathedral is the most memorable experience of their visit to England. A foundation stone of the new cathedral was laid on the 23rd of March 1956, 16 years after the bombing, and was consecrated on the 25th of May 1962. It was built by Sir John Lang, the man who made a fortune and gave it away. When younger, he wrote down his program for life. He wrote, first, the centre of my life is to be God as seen in Jesus Christ. Second, I am going to enjoy life and help others to enjoy it. He kept that piece of paper with him throughout his life and stuck to this program. He said that if his income was £1,000, he would give away 200 live on 300 and save 500 That might seem extreme, but John Lang exceeded this principle. Fifty years later, the firm of Lang was a leader in the UK construction industry, building motorways, power stations, airfields, houses and Coventry Cathedral. Yet when he died in 1978 at the age of 99, his personal possessions were worth £371. The man who had earned millions of pounds had given them all away. He knew and practised what Jesus called us all to do in today's Gospel reading. Don't be just hearers of his word, but doers also. As an aside, at the same time as the contract for the cathedral was signed, the company also got the contract for building Berkeley Nuclear Power Station. 
People in the company called this the power and the glory. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthian church, reminds his readers that through Christ's death and resurrection, we have become a new creation. The old has passed away. Also, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are to be Christ's ambassadors, official envoys, tasked with taking the message of forgiveness and reconciliation to the world. Jesus said that people would recognize us as his disciples by the way we love one another. One of the ways love is expressed is in forgiveness. Someone has said that when you forgive someone who hurts you, you are dancing to the rhythm of the divine heartbeat. It points people to God as the great reconciler when they see reconciliation amongst his people. It's also been said that nothing in this world bears the impress of the Son of God so surely as forgiveness. After the Second World War, still suffering physical and emotional scars from Nazi brutality, Corrie ten Boom felt called to preach forgiveness and reconciliation through Europe as they dug out of the war's emotional rubble. She had lost most of her family in concentration camps for helping to rescue Jews. She was sure she had overcome her own desire for vengeance against German SS troops who had dehumanized her and her loved ones in those camps. One occasion took her to Munich. Outside a church after the Sunday service, she found herself looking hard in the face of an old SS guard. Suddenly for Corrie, the memories were there again of the cruelty of that guard and the others in the camp. And now the war was over, the man had come up to Corrie, beaming politely. How grateful I am for your message, he said, to think as you say that Jesus has washed my sins away. He put out his hand to her. It was too much for Corrie, and she kept her hand frozen at her side. Forgiveness comes hard for anyone, and it seemed to her outrageous to expect it of her at that time in that situation. She goes on to tell in her book, The Hiding Place, which some of you no doubt have read, The Hiding Place, how at that moment angry and vengeful thoughts boiled through her body and she struggled to raise her hand, but she could not. She felt nothing, no emotion, not the slightest spark of forgiveness. So she breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And Corrie was touched at that instant by the one who can forgive everyone and everything because he himself was, has borne the cost of those actions, the cost of forgiveness on the cross in his own body. Corrie felt the force of her own forgiveness and the understanding of that forgiveness. In the freedom of being forgiven, she raised her arm and took, and took the hand of the man who had done unforgettable things to her. Corrie was later to say, 
We never touch the ocean of God's love so much as when we love our enemies. It is a joy to accept forgiveness, but it is almost a greater joy to give forgiveness. And as we pray week by week in our services here in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. May it be so for each and every one of us. One of Italy's top tourist spots was, is or was before COVID, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Anybody been to see that? Quite a few of you. Fascinating, isn't it? It's a bell tower. For those who haven't been there, it's a bell tower built next to the cathedral, and it's going to fall. Scientists travel to Pisa every year to measure the building's slow descent. They report that the nearly 55-metre-high tower, which was built in 1173, moves only a few millimetres a year and is now 5.19 metres out of plumb. Recent renovations, they hope, may have saved the 848-year-old tower and prevent it from collapsing. Quite significantly, the word Pisa means marshy land which gives some clue as to why the tower began to lean even before it was completed. Also, another issue is the fact that its foundation is only three metres deep. So the reason the leaning tower of Pisa is leaning is because it is built on a faulty foundation of marshy soil. The words in the Gospel reading today conclude one of the greatest sermons ever preached. Jesus brings to culmination the great Sermon on the Mount, and he does so with a poignant truth about two men. Both men built a sturdy house, no doubt following the building code to the letter. There was no problem with that. It was not about good or bad construction practices, but wise and foolish choices of a site. It was where they built that had the consequences. One checked the ground first, the other, like the builders of the Tower of Pisa, did not, and the consequences for this man were disastrous. In the parable, the question is raised, what kind of foundation are we building our lives on? Through the story, Jesus is saying that the plans we make, the principles that form the foundation of our plans, and the actions we take are vitally important he is talking, too, about living a life based on his teaching as being a good foundation to build on. These concepts apply to whatever we might attempt in life. There's a hymn in the book, Hymns for Today's Church, which picks up this theme. Here's the first and last first verse. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but holy trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. In the last verse, when the last trumpet's voice shall sound, O may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground 
is sinking sand. So the promise to us is that if we listen intently to Jesus' words and strive to live by them, we will be building upon the rock and will be able to withstand the storms of this life and of the final judgment. So in the great warning which closes the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus insists that his hearers will be judged on whether they hear these words and do them, or whether they let their ears enjoy the sound of the words, but leave them as a memory without doing anything about them. Doing what Jesus says or not doing it. This makes the difference between a house that stays standing in a storm and a house that falls with a great crash. So it leaves us today with the question, what are we building on today? What are we building on in our own lives and in the lives of our church? Are we doing Jesus' words or only reading them, hearing them and thinking how fine they are? Amen.